carrying through our series called Us Versus Them, and we're in our second week of this three-week series, and this series is more of one sermon spread out over three weeks, so I do want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, feel free to head online, and you can see some of the information of what we shared last week. Uh, some of the of what we shared last week set up the bit of a foundation of what we're going to be speaking about over this week and next week. Uh, and we have a, a foundational verse for our time together um, throughout this series, which is from Matthew 5, 43 to 44, because Jesus says these words. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is what Jesus says to us, love your enemies, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is not the way our world works at the moment. We don't live in a world where it's typical for people to love people who are on an opposite side to them on a particular issue. We live in an increasingly polarised world where we, uh, where we seek to, uh, to even harm people who don't share the same view as us. We live in a world that typically, in many ways, has an us versus them mindset. But the church is called to be different. Even here, uh, in Jesus' words, he uh, lays uh, the most important principle out for us to understand, which is to love one another. Even those that we disagree with, we should have such a, uh, a radical love for one another. Not only this, but the churches and Christians are called to be defined by our love for one another. So the very thing that we should be known for when we leave this place is our love for each other. And as we spoke about uh, last week, the uh, narrative of our culture and uh, all around us is very, very different to, uh, than this. We are, um, in many ways, in a culture that seeks to have an us versus them way of thinking. This has become so great within our culture over the past few years that there has been a term that has developed, which is this term, cancel culture. Now, cancel culture is what has developed in society, where if you disagree with someone else, you decide on even a small issue, you decide to stop talking to them and you cancel them out of your life. And so for some people, if they disagree on even one small thing, therefore we must agree with them about every single thing. And I've seen this happen to people on both sides of many different issues. And this is the epitome of an us versus them mindset. And so what are we able to do about that? How is the church supposed to be different? How can we frame our thinking to not, uh, to not have this mindset even in the midst of what's going on around us? The foundation of everything to combat an us versus them mindset is understanding what we did, uh, spoke about last week is that we need to view other people as God views them. Every single person has been created in the image of God with value and worth. And so we are called as followers of Jesus to view other people as image bearers of God. 
Being an image bearer means that every single person has value and worth. You have value and worth, but also everyone that you come into contact with does as well. And this is how we should see one another. And it's when we begin seeing people through this lens that our actions and our words towards one another are able to change. In James 3 verses 9 to 10, we see the outworking of uh, of seeing people as the image of God and how that should look within our life. In James 3, 9 to 10, it says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness, in his image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So when you begin viewing people as people who are viewed, uh, as people who are created in the image of God, our language should reflect that. We should be honouring towards one another. And tonight, we are going to learn a few different lessons about how we can uh, make this play out within our life. So understanding people are created in the image of God is the foundation, but then how do we Um, How do we make that play out within our lives, particularly when we disagree with one another? Now, um, tonight's message is primarily to you who are believers. So if you are not a Christian, we're super glad that you're here. Um, But this message is primarily for when we have disagreements in the church um, between one another. Now, my guess is, if you have been part of a church for even a little bit of time, I'm just going to make a, uh, a pretty bold guess here, that you have probably been in a church with some level of conflict that has been uh, made fairly visible. Who has been in a church where there has been some visible conflict? There were some hands shooting up. Even at your age, this is very surprising, that even at your age, most of you have been involved in a church with some level of visible conflict uh, within it. Now, almost every single church that I know of, no matter how healthy they are, no matter how much they're growing, no matter what God is doing in, uh, in that place, almost every single church I know of has had a moment or moments of significant conflict at one time or another, and I'm fairly unaware of many times that this has been handled really, really well. And, but this is one of the things that I think the church should be the best at. We should be really good at being able to disagree about things uh, well. Now, the simplest response that we, can, uh, that we can give if we have conflict or disagreements with one another, with other believers, the easiest response out of that is to avoid one another. And you may have seen people who have done this. There are people who, uh, who may choose to, rather than get involved in the, the, uh, the disagreement or the conflict, they may choose to, uh, to exit community from the church completely. They may choose to either not get involved in the church or they may, uh, they may leave the church completely. Um, this happens because people, they use the language of getting burnt by the church. Now, With James, the language that he uses here, being burnt by the church is something that shouldn't 
be happening with us. We should be able to speak about things well. Now, throughout the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts is regularly heralded as the time where the church was most awesome. Uh, They never seemed to have disagreements and we read verses about them meeting together in each other's homes and sharing uh, communion with one another and singing together Um, and they did this every single day. But one of the things that we may forget is that this didn't actually last for very long. Although they, uh, it seemed awesome in the early church, it didn't take long for disagreements and dissension to happen within the church. And this is actually the reason most of the New Testament books are written, is to be able to handle some of these disagreements that are happening uh, within the church. One of the major themes that we see throughout all of these different books throughout the New Testament is that rather than encouraging people to... Um, to flee from one another if they disagree, there is a word that is used very, very regularly throughout the New Testament that tells us how we should, um, how we should view one another. And this, uh, this word is unity. Again and again throughout the New Testament, we see this word coming up, uh, which is something that we should have within the church. Not only are we to have unity within the church, but we are Uh, in Paul's words, to make every effort towards unity. And so in Romans 14 verse 9, it says, let us therefore make every effort, do every single thing you possibly can to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Ephesians 4 verse 3, once again this phrase is used, make every effort, do everything you can to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort for unity. Pursuing peaceful unity as believers is not something that's secondary to the uh, the heart of the New Testament writers, and it's not secondary to the heart of God. This is something that's primary for us as believers. And still we see churches dividing over secondary issues. Even over the past few years, there have been some very public disagreements about how churches may have responded to the pandemic. And so there were churches. Um, I'm just taking an example from the past few years because it's clear in our minds. So there were churches over the past few years um, who made a very public stance in saying, uh, we are not uh, permitted to meet at the moment and yet we are going to meet anyway. Then there were churches on the other side who were permitted to meet and they decided we are not going to meet. And yet, these two different sides began hurling stones at one another throughout throughout this disagreement. They um, were declaring the other side of this issue can't possibly be the real church. Now, in the grand scheme of things, when we look at the history of the church, this is more of a small us versus them situation that has emerged between believers but there can be more and more polarizations within our world that can be happening and finding its way even more frequently into the church. So we can have political polarizations. I've heard that it was said that if you are a Christian, you will vote for this political party. I've seen theological polarizations. 
There have been Christians who have refused to even have conversation with people from different uh, groups to them. They essentially practice a, uh, a Christian theological version of cancel culture. A few years ago, there was a, um, a major... Um, uh, a couple of major Christian leaders who came together and who I think demonstrated the exact opposite heart of this. Um, two very well-known Christian leaders, uh, John Piper and Rick Warren. John Piper, he led a church called Bethlehem Baptist Church in the States, and Rick Warren led and founded a church called Saddleback Church. Um, now, these are two guys who typically wouldn't come into conversation with one another. The language in, uh, in nerdy Christian circles is that they are from different tribes. That's the wording that somehow, uh, that's sometimes used. Um, and yet, there's a conversation, it's an interview that you are able to watch online if you would like. There is an interview with these two men where they come together and they discuss multiple different issues. They pray together, they profess love for one another. You can see even there, they're praying and holding one another's hands. And I actually see this a really wonderful example of being able to disagree with someone and yet still love them really, really well. I do encourage you, if you're able to go online and see it, it is a, a really helpful example of this. Now, these two men, they show example an example of a certain type of conflict. Now, when we hear the word conflict, we automatically tense up. And the reason that we tense up is because mo for most of us, we have only seen a form of conflict that destroys one another. But there are two types of conflict that we can, uh, that we can be a part of. So conflict that destroys sees the other person who is across from us as the issue themselves. And if someone across from us is the issue them, uh, themselves because we disagree with them, then automatically we should be bringing harm to the other person. That is conflict that destroys, and that's what many of you may have seen before. But there is also a form of conflict or disagreement, if you would prefer that sort of word, where the goal is actually to love and edify the other person whilst discussing an issue. And so it is possible to come together to disagree on an issue and to speak about it with one another and the goal to be to work out how can we love one another well and speak about this issue, um, how can we spe speak about this issue well. Now, disagreements are going to happen in the church, even throughout the New Testament. We see the two giants of the faith, Peter and Paul, who have a disagreement, a significant disagreement, about what Christians could and should do. But we don't need to have conflict over everything in our world. In fact, the level of conflict that should happen should correlate to something's level of importance. So over here, we have matters of faith that are essential and clear, and then there are matters that are less essential or less clear. And so within the essential clear box, there are matters of gospel importance. So for example, 
We believe here that Jesus genuinely was the Son of God. We believe that He was God in human flesh. We do believe that He died on the cross. And we also believe that He rose again. These are matters that we believe are essential and clear. This is important for anyone to believe, to have faith in Jesus. And faith in Jesus comes through relationship with him. So these are things that we believe are essential and clear. Now, there are groups who will say that they're Christians, but they don't believe these things. And so yesterday, I was arriving home from picking up the groceries, and there were some people who were walking down my street who were dressed very well. These people, they gave me a pamphlet, um, and in this pamphlet, there was an invitation to join them at, uh, at, I don't, at their place of worship, I can't remember what they call it, um, on Good Friday to remember the death of Jesus. These people, you might be aware, they were the, uh, they were the Jehovah's Witnesses. But their understanding of who Jesus is, what the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus meant, uh, meant and his deity, that is vastly different to how we understand who Jesus is. And so we disagree on the essential and we believe clear things presented throughout Scripture. And because of this, we don't have fellowship with one another. We don't believe the same essential things about the gospel of Jesus. Now, there are moments throughout the New Testament that Paul presents where there are people who, have, who are false teachers and he encourages people to not engage with those who are false teachers. So that is something that is important for us. So if people are teaching something that is different from the essential clear matters of the Christian faith, then we don't engage with them. On a, uh, on a fellowship basis anyway. We don't engage with them as a, uh, um, in, a, in worship with them. But there are a ton of other issues. And this list is very, very, very big of things that are not essential, that are less clear. Can we just go back, Eric? Thank you, brother. So these issues that are not essential and less clear there are Christians who will disagree on these matters. And so, for example, one of these matters would be, um, what is the place of spiritual gifts in the church? There are certain Christians who believe that some gifts don't operate within the church anymore. And there are other Christians who believe that once you have been baptised by the Spirit, you will present certain gifts. Now, with both of these different groups, do we suddenly say, well, I don't agree with you on this one issue, so I won't have anything to do with you? Not at all. This is a secondary issue. This is something that we discuss together in love uh, with one another, seeking to find out what does Scripture really say about this. I'm just wondering, um, without getting too... Um, 
controversial. What are some other things that you think could be some not essential, less clear uh, things? I'll just take about 30 seconds with the person next to you. What are some things that are not essential and less clear uh, for us to, to disagree upon? Okay, go. Talk to, the person, uh, talk to the person next to you. Now, seeking to love one another well <laughs> in a very loving way. What are, maybe, maybe say it in a, uh, as loving way as you can. What are some things that are less clear and not essential? Yep. Worship styles. Worship styles. Yep. Laura? Yep. Yep. Cass? Flat Earth. Flat Earth? Yep. <laughs> I'd say it's clear. My sincerest apologies. Oh, there we go. So, Bible translations. There you go. Yep. Cam? Theological veganism. Okay. I teach the opposite. <laughs> Jesus clearly supports Maccas. <laughs> Carl? Oh, how often people should come to church? Yep. Anyone else? You've done well at speaking this in love, everyone. You've done a very good job. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Yep. Laura? Baptism. Baptism. Yeah, different modes of baptism. Yep. Yeah, so different modes of, uh, of baptism, and whether you, um, whether you baptize infants or, uh, or adults. That's a uh, big thing. Yep, complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Oh, baptizing infants. Yep, yep. <laughs> if you miss that, it's whether your kids should watch Harry Potter or not. So I could also add The Simpsons into that as well. So you have, oh, Pastor Ash has never seen an episode of The Simpsons. So. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> oh, one thing I'd say as well, there's some pretty strong views on the sovereignty of God and how that plays out within the salvation of believers. There are multiple of these issues that people disagree upon. Um, and I really genuinely think that within the church, we are able to disagree about these different matters well and still love one, one another really well. I have a, uh, a couple of pastor friends. I've got more than a couple, but uh, two of my, my pastor friends who I, I catch up with fairly regularly, one of them, um, you would probably consider him more right on the spectrum. That's a really weird term to use, but he would be more right on the spectrum uh, than I am. 
um, both theologically and politically. There would be matters that we disagree with uh, in different ways, um, but we still catch up regularly. We speak about different things. We still seek to love one another really well. There is another friend of mine who would be considered more left than me. Once again, I don't really know what that means, but whatever. Um, and there have been so many, <coughs> excuse me, so many things that I have learnt from this guy about compassion and loving people really, really well. Um, and we disagree on things. We will probably continue to disagree on things for the rest of our lives, and that's okay. But we are able to speak about these issues because we have a genuine sense of love for one another and because we seek the best for one another and because we know that we agree on the essential clear matters of Christian faith. We believe the gospel. We have our hearts centered around Jesus together, which means when we know that, that we can speak about the not essential, less clear issues um, more and more often. Now, um, now, they're the, uh, these are the, the two different uh, things for us to, to be aware of, but there is also, um, throughout, uh, throughout the New Testament, so many different uh, words of guidance to help us know what to do when we don't agree with one another. I'm just going to go through eight different things that the Bible presents to, of what we can do when we don't agree with one another. Can we go to the next slide, please, Eric? who is not there. So, Brayden, can you... Oh, no, he is. <laughs> Sorry. Your head's down, Eric. I can't see you. First thing is pray for the person. There is nothing that will draw your heart closer to someone else or help you love someone else better than praying for someone. So, pray for people that you disagree with. In Jesus' language, pray for those who persecute you. You can't have anyone disagree with you more than those who persecute you. So pray for those who you disagree with. Second thing, consider that you could be wrong. We all have different views in this room about all kinds of things. And one of us is wrong. Most of us will be wrong about something because we're not Jesus. So consider that you could be wrong. The longer that I have gone in life and ministry, over 32 short years, the more I realise that there have been significant things that I have been very firm on that I have actually been wrong about or aren't as clear as I had previously thought. Third thing. You don't need to disagree about everything. So if you disagree with a person on one issue, this doesn't mean that you suddenly need to push them out of your life. You can disagree about an issue, but this doesn't mean that the person themselves becomes the issue. Fourth thing, value or assume the best of the other person. This is viewing people in the image of God. So value every person that you come into contact with. Fifth thing, speak from relationship when possible. I see people who, uh, who refer to certain moments of conflict that Jesus might have or disagreements that he has throughout Scripture, and they point to these moments of Jesus' ministry 
whilst leaving out the fact that most of the time he actually had prior relationship with these people. And so there are moments when you will see Jesus rebuking the disciples who are his followers. But people often forget that these disciples also spent time camping out with Jesus, eating with Jesus. They spent three years, uh, most of their time was spent with Jesus. So speak from relationship when possible. Sixth thing, listen more than you speak. The longer I go in life, the more I am learning, listen more than you speak. Just stop speaking for a moment. Seventh thing, approach everything with the fruit of the Spirit. Approach every conversation that you have with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life so that you speak to people in this way. And the eighth thing, it's not your job to be the judge. It's God's job. There are eight practical things from Scripture that can help you or some principles that might be able to help you in how to engage with people that you disagree with. There is also a ninth thing, which is more just for you to be aware of. Um, If you disagree with another believer, even if you disagree strongly with with another believer, you do need to, um, as much as you can, reconcile with this other believer because you are going to spend eternity together. So get used to one another. Now, everything that I am sharing right now may not be applicable to you in this moment. For many of you, you're probably thinking, I don't have any major conflict going on in my life. I don't have any major disagreements with another believer. But I want to take you back to the beginning of our time together, where most of you put up your hand when I asked if you've been part of a church that has gone through major conflict. So can I just let you know, most of you will be placed in a position sometime in the future where there will be conflict that you need to figure out how you're going to deal with and how we deal with this really does matter. It makes a difference. This matters for you, this matters for the people that you disagree with and it matters to the heart of God. I just want to bring you back to that verse that we shared about before, James 3, 9, uh, James 3, verses 9 to 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth we, go, we uh, come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. One of the things I think this passage tells us And one of the things I believe from this passage that affects the heart of God is that we can come together and sing to him, lift up our hands, invite his presence in and worship him. But it breaks the heart of God if with that same mouth we leave this place and gossip out about one another and have harsh conflict with other people who are created in the image of God. One of the things I shared about last week, and I've shared about this uh, a few times before, is um, is several years ago, I I myself was part of a church that was going through some major conflict. Um, At the same time of this church going through some major conflict, 
Uh, we had 50 baptisms throughout this year. There was just a mighty work that God was doing by His Spirit. He was drawing people who had uh, no background in Christian faith, and these people had come into faith in Jesus and were getting baptized. Quick plug get baptized on Easter if you haven't already. Um, this was a moment that was the closest thing for me to revival. And although this was a really joy-filled time for me uh, in seeing what God was doing, what I began to notice is this conflict that had been predominantly happening within some older people within the church, it inevitably began to find its way and began to affect some of the younger people within the church. And these people, who, or some of these, uh, these young people who had been baptised, they saw what was happening, and they were still very young in their faith, and the, the conflict that they saw, and the way that people were speaking together, uh, the way that, uh, that the young people, people saw that, meant that a lot of these young people said, I don't want anything to do with that kind of church. I don't want to be a part of that because clearly they don't actually love one another. There's a huge portion of these young people who ended up leaving the church completely and not have anything to do um, with the church anymore. And so can I just stress, getting this right matters. Disagreeing well matters. It matters for the church. It matters for one another most of all, matters to God. I really think this is something that is so central to the heart of God. Now, if you have done this, if you are um, currently in a uh, state of relationship with someone that is broken, where you have maybe dishonoured someone through your language, can I just encourage you outside of here to seek reconciliation. There are two things that are able to happen. There is reconciliation where two people come together in relationship and love for one another, but even if that is not able to happen, forgiveness is still able to happen. We are able to forgive one another even if there has been a harsh conflict in, uh, in the past. And the reason that we should do this is... Because when we look at Jesus, we can see how much we have dishonoured him, how harsh and awful we have been to him through our sin, which is ultimately what led him to the cross. And Jesus was the one who sought to reconcile us back to him. He sought reconciliation with us, and so we should seek that towards one another. Jesus is the ultimate example of reconciliation. He is the ultimate example of what it means to offer forgiveness with those who have done the wrong thing to him. And so we are, in turn, are called to follow his example and do that to one another. And so what we're going to do, we're going to, uh, to stand in, in a minute and sing. So team, if you want to come on up right now, that would be, that would be fantastic. Um, but as the team just starts to play... Um, what I just want to invite you to do is spend some time praying for one another. Um, share with one another something that you would like prayer for. Um, you don't necessarily need to share something that is in relation to being reconciled to another person. 
But it really is true that a church that is praying together will love one another more. And so we want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church that loves one another well. And so I just invite you to spend some time praying for one another. So if you want to get into groups of between two to four people with the people around you, just as the team starts to play, um, and just pray for them, um, ask them what you, can, uh, what you can be in prayer for, and then um, I'll close our time at the end and we'll, uh, we'll worship. So do that right now. Spend some time uh, just praying together.